Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for that time your record collection actually came to life. What did I tell you about feeding vinyl after midnight? You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. gifted person or anything. Poets aren't people out of the ordinary and musicians aren't people out of the ordinary. I mean, they're all just people, but you know, some, it's just how, how it affects you and the impression things have on you. When you knew that I had given all the kindness that I had, did you think that it might be time to start? Hey, Paul. Hey, salty dog. So, so little Richard's dead. That's a drag, eh? <laughs> Woo! Of the old rockers, I find little richard to sound the most modern of that batch i agree with that you know chuck berry's the songwriter right and and jerry lee lewis is the cousin fucker (laughs) and a wonderful pianist (laughs) but something about little richard man fats domino's like the soul like you know he's got he's got fats domino's my guy that r&b but little richard just sounds so vital he was like tutti frutti like i think john lennon said rock and roll will never get any better than tutti frutti (laughs) He's not wrong. <laughs> the energy that he put out, his voice. I mean, McCartney stole his whole thing, right? I know. I, I mean, credited him, thankfully, at every turn. But yeah, like, for sure, there's no... I don't know if you could say no McCartney without Little Richard, but certainly not the McCartney we know. You wouldn't get a, a high, high, high or an oh, darling, or one of those types of things. Maybe you'd just get ballad McCartney. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't have gotten John Lennon, though. It's a drag. Ready, daddy, go, let go. <laughs> so, darling. <laughs> you brought a good one. You brought a good one this week. Ooh, this is uh, the one album in my life that the first time I heard it, I can't imagine hating something more than this album. <laughs> <laughs> and then over the years... It slowly turned into one of my favorite things that even to this day, I put this thing on and it's better than the last time I heard it. And it's still true for this episode. Well, I actually have a microcosm version of that and we'll get into it, but I guess we should, we should first welcome the people back to now hear this. Oh, hello. We're back. The music review podcast. Your bubble looks that beautiful. Thank you. I've gotten some plaster so actually now it is a solid i mean to ask about that i can't see you (laughs) 
Yeah. This is, should we say, could I tell the people, could I tell the people what it is? What do you think? Oh yeah. M- maybe we should, we should say the name of the album. I was like holding it back. Like it's <laughs> valuable information. It's literally in the description of the episode. You already know what it is. <laughs> Are you gonna it's say a salty, you it's a salty dog. Parochial Harem's A Salty Dog on A&M Records. One of my absolute favorites. Gary Brooker, Keith Reed, Robin Trower, Matthew Fisher, the guy that played bass. I think his name was David Knight. Yeah. This is an excellent... Oh, yeah. Barry Wilson, the drummer. This is a great album. Yeah. Really fun. So you had recommended, I think, this album to me two years ago or something yeah i always do and nobody ever is like oh you know what i'm gonna go listen to that because they see the cover and they're like ah so yeah we're, we're looking at this crusty semen on this uh on the cover here yes sir that is what we just so saying. i did i i found it and i and i listened to it but i didn't quite know what to make of it it's not really like an album where you can kind of pluck songs out of it nope you have to almost take it as a as a one piece and sit down with it and go on this long sea voyage. And I was at the time looking for something I could pluck out. And so the one I plucked was Boredom. That was the one that I... Yes. Mm. If I had to pick a single off of this one that was the most accessible, you know, and we'll get to the tracks, but that would be what I would pick. So anyway, I kind of took Boredom out, put it on a playlist and left it at that and then dropped the album and didn't really feel the need to revisit it too much. Yeah. Going through it this time, you know, I think this show kind of helps me sometimes. We talk about, like, breaking through barriers, like, listen to records. Like, if there's a directive to listen to it, it's different from when if you, like, are just doing it on your own. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with the directive, like, okay, I am going to listen to this with a discerning ear. It really helped me understand what the hell this thing was. And I really, really enjoyed it. This is a highlight for me. Very happy to hear that. Yeah, it's, you know, I remember putting it on and just being like, what is this strange musical (laughs) about? Is this about life? Is it about sailing? Is it about a devil from Kansas? Right. And I'm not sure I have any of those answers. I treat this in a similar way to like Beatle music where I'm not really trying to decipher the lyrics. I'm just trying to absorb the intent, you know? Totally absorb the intent. And the intent is to bedazzle you with a journey. Well, I mean, it starts out with a whiter shade of pale. I I know it may be hackneyed or cliched. That's one of my favorite songs ever, a whiter shade of pale. I love it. Yeah. I called for a drink and the waiter brought a tray. Like all of the lyrics in all of the Procol Harum songs have all these dazzling visual images and yes this album is chock full of that too yeah at this point i'm not looking for anything but pure entertainment it's like going back home this record for me how did you happen upon Harum to begin with was it wider shade of pale was that was that just the one and then uh, actually i'm glad you asked that because i hadn't even thought of that since that first time i was in high school yeah and i worked at a steak and shake right uh-huh. Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Some people don't know what that is, but I think most people do. I don't think I've ever actually seen or eaten at one, but I've seen it in enough TV and film to understand what you're saying. It's America's fake version of a 50s diner that delivers you fast food. And the milkshakes are really, really... The food's actually really good for fast food, but yeah. way digressing. So I applied to be a waiter there, right? And uh-huh. I, they didn't have any waiter jobs. This is 
middle of high school, early high school. But they're like, you know, we what we do have is we have the the milkshake guy job open. And no tips, but it's a higher hourly rate. I'm like, well, that's fine. I'll go. I can do three, four, five hour stints and just get cash so I can. I mean, what did I do? Probably just bought beetles and wings bootlegs <laughs> and books and stuff. We don't have any waiter jobs, but we do have some proto prog rock enthusiast slots open if you'd like to. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> We have this room of albums that you can go in, but we have to lock you in it. Um, and if there's no payment, why would you have that at a steak and shake? That doesn't make sense. Is there somebody locked in there right now? So no, the, I'm just, this is all coming back to me in real time. There was a girl there. I forget her name, but you know, you, you make friends with all of the people your age. And yeah. she's like, basically this, the conversation was like, you're a nerd. Have you ever heard of, Douglas Adams. I'm like, no, what's that? I got the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm like, no, I've never heard of that. And Douglas Adams was this guy that wrote for Python. Uh-huh. I think in season four, the, the season that Cleese left, John Cleese. And he ended up making this radio program that was successful, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And there were one or two series. And then they it, he took that and turned it into a book and it ended up being five books but he always called it a five book trilogy like yeah. a five act trilogy or something and he died before he got to the sixth version the long and winding point to this is that in one of douglas adams bios he talked about how obsessed he was with this band huh. and how he loved the beatles and how he loved dylan and how he loved this band and he thought that this band was better than the beatles wow so we've got a guy, a Monty Python-humored British guy writing surreal sci-fi stories. <laughs> Very funny, too. It reads like Python, those things. And he goes, you know what I think is better than the Beatles, this band? And I, you know, at 17, I'm like, oh, well, I got to hear everything then. Right. I clearly need to hear everything. And I was, I hate to say, I was disappointed in a lot of what I heard. There was that song Conquistador. You had Whiter Shade of Pale. There's a song that Douglas Adams references that inspired one of the, the second book of the Hitchhiker series. And that one's really, really good. And But, you know, I, I, I fell off of it for a long time until... Is this interesting at all? Yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. of the no, old man Brady stories. No, this, this is, is great. Boring. This is great. It's as bad as me reading a list. <laughs> so no, it's good. So fast forward through college, through... I was in New York somewhere, and I started reading... I never know if I'm saying this guy's name right. The Dean of American Rock Critics, Robert Christigal. His reviews of albums are some of my favorite. Every single word counts. And if he hates an album, he just like he just slices these artists in half. He's like <laughs> pre-pitchfork, pitchfork guy. Yeah. And I remember just scrolling around the Procol Harum section. I just pulled it up. A Salty Dog, 1969. A New Discovery. Haven't stopped playing it since seeing them at the Fillmore. A plus. Wow. And he gives nothing an A plus. Yeah. If you look at the list, it's it's very compared to all the records he's reviewed, it's a small list. And I saw, you know, I go by this literally this album. I put it on. This is terrible. And I'm like, fuck all these old <laughs> rock and roll dorks. But you know, some and, and you 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 said boredom, but something about boredom. Stuck in my head after yeah. the first listen. Really? Once again, we're in sync. This is wild. Totally in sync. Whether it was the, <laughs> the finger percussion or the just 
I don't know, something I've never heard a record produced like that, the sound of that record. I mean, it sounds like a Davies Brothers later 70s kinks thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is what appealed to me about it, because I love that. We're going to make some weird fucking nursery rhymes kinks, you know, like that's my (laughs) preferred kinks, you know? Yes. So I was walking around and I'm like, what is that song? Is that the, is that from that pro? Because I was buying a lot of, it was when I was just buying records every weekend. You know, you put them on once and you're like, oh, this is great, this is bad. And you give it away or trade it to a friend. And I just had that boop, 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 all that. Some say they will, some say they won't. I'm like, is that a McCartney song? Is that a Dylan? I'm like, what is? And finally found it, track five on this record. And then I'm like, all right, I better just give it another spin. And it was better. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, okay. And then, you know, played it again. I'm like, oh, wait. You put it down, you keep coming back to it. And still to this day, probably, it's probably 10 years now. Better every time I hear it. But yeah. it's a, for some reason, and I don't know if you experienced this, there's a big learning curve or a big hump at the front of it. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know why. I think I, A Salty Dog, the title track, it's so, there's like a plotting nature to it in a way. And it is quite slow. And actually, when, when I went to spin this, preparing for this episode i actually felt like i had to stop it because i felt like Mm. i wasn't Mm -hmm. concentrating enough exactly you have to give it your full focus or else there's there's no reward full attention you can't half listen to this album and i'm all for that i love doing that just putting on an album and really giving it my all but i do think there's an element of concentration there that maybe is Maybe that's part of that learning curve. Like you just kind of have to like force yourself to pay attention to it for a minute. Yeah. And then it reveals itself to you in great ways, you know? Absolutely. And also this album's from 69. And this is an era, I've been thinking about this a lot for obvious reasons. Because it's the sex number? Get her, yes, yes. I've been you thinking get it? about it. Like there's a six and a nine and it looks like they're licking each other's junk because they're numbers. Oh, that's what that is? I know? never got that. Yeah, they're licking and... It's a sex number, well, Ryan. Sex. Why would it be? You familiar? Oh wait, with no. Yeah. Sex. No, I've never. <laughs> That's that thing that you check the one thing and the other thing on all the on the paper. Hey, I got really great news for you. There's also a weed number. I got all kinds of numbers. Is there one that gets me out of this bit? A number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Abort. Escape. Zero. Like when you type whatever the numbers are and it's boobs on a calculator. <laughs> What the hell were we talking about? Oh, right, 69. 69. Nice, nice, nice. Nice. Sex number, right. We're surrounded by doodads and gizmos and things that just blink and strobe at you and give you information and probably are giving us all sorts of diseases that we don't even know about yet. I got keyboards and computers and TVs and I'm playing Mario Switch, finding all the power moons. Like, wh- so wait, many- wait, wait, wait. Whoa. Are you fucking playing Mario on the Switch right now? Yes, sir. I am Odyssey. doing that as well, listening to albums and playing Mario on the Switch. You're kidding. I am not kidding. When I was texting you drunk the other night about extra texture, that's what I yes. was doing. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was definitely... I've been buying software synthesizers and just drinking tequila and like, <laughs> like dial that Farfisa up, baby. <laughs> How many that's moons so, you got, Paul? That's wild to me. I just got to that annoying world where the buzzard steals your fucking hat. Oh, yeah. That's not a good world. Yeah. He keeps stealing it, and then you got to chase him, and you're like, why am I chasing this guy? And there's eels in there for some reason, and you're it's like, crazy. what? 
The eels really frighten me, and so <laughs> so does the T Rex. I don't like it. Thank you so much for playing my game. You gotta let that T Rex use his reptile brain to smash himself into a wall. Would you say that is an unconsciousness rule? Like, uh, is it George Bun making beetle jokes? Yeah, yeah, I do. So anyway, so here we are talking about literally T-Rexes and Mario, and we're on a FaceTime, and we're doing a podcast, and we live in a world where your attention is sucked out of every situation you're in by something. Yeah. This was made in an era where you had to be in a room with people and have conversations, where you had to sit and write a song, and you couldn't edit it on Pro Tools. You had to, all right, here's my song. Okay, now we have to go produce it. I have to play this part. I have to get a take I like. Oh, well, some of those notes aren't good in the beginning, but I love the feel of this, so that's it. And so my point is, I think the era it was made in, the zeitgeist is captured on the vinyl, and so you can't not pay attention to get the full effect. Yeah. And I think the difference in something like a Beatles record is because the Beatles were a live band, and they learned how to grab your attention. Right. And I think that's why those records jump off the vinyl as opposed to this. And I tied Super Mario and Procol Harum together. wild. 1990. Ah, spaghetti. Ah, ravioli. Really, my only note at the start of this was this album, the more you listen to it, the more you hear it be a blueprint for so many albums in the 70s. Like that, There I, you go. I was shocked at how early this came out because it really does sound like something more from like 77, 78, 79. Much like that Todd Rundgren, Wizard of True Star album we talked about in our first episode. Yes. This one, I think, was way ahead of its time. I agree with you. Progressive rock in the traditional sense. But I guess you could call Procol Harm prog rock, but I, I don't know if I would... I would call them like progressive, but maybe not prog, if that makes any sense. But, you know, you hear Led Zeppelin three in here. You hear the band in here. You hear, mm-hmm. you know, Dylan's Planet Way. Like, I think Procol Harum was absorbing the music of their time and building off of it. So they weren't doing this in a vacuum. But I think their innovation and stylistic choices would just reverberate for absolute years to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was shocking to me, actually. It was really shocking. Now, I had actually seen Gary Brooker. I don't know if I told you this. No. I've seen him live. I wanted hmm. maybe more than once. I saw him with Ringo and the All-Stars. So you only get three tracks, but he did Whiter Shade of Pale, and he did Whiskey Train, and he did A Salty Dog. Wow. So I've actually seen Gary Brooker do a Salty Dog live on stage. And I remember at the time thinking, this is very boring to me. <laughs> yeah. That's when you went and got the Heineken or the Bud Light or the Pretzel or whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is just whiter shade of pale too, huh? I guess I yeah. guess he's got this guy's got one flavor. <laughs> but it's really not. It, it does have hallmarks of that. But well, I mean, we'll get to the tracks, but. Well, that's the thing about this band. They put that single out, and it was a smash hit. I'm almost positive right away. And then, so this is album three. They had done a couple of other, I mean, literally a couple other records. And I don't know that they ever surpassed A Whiter Shade of Pale. And that's a, that's a frustrating position to be in, where right. you're a young man, and you write a song, and it's, it makes you, or at least a record company, a lot of money. And then you're like, how did I do that? 
Like what, what do I do? How do I do that again? I mean, obviously I did it right. and it can be done. And yeah, I agree with you. There are a lot of whiter shade of pale moments on this record and a lot of their other songs just makes me always spin a whiter shade of pale after this. I, if a whiter shade of pale was on this record, I might be my favorite album. Okay. But because it's, but because it's not, and I'm glad it's not, it's something that sits in the top 10 or 20 and comes back all the time for me. Yeah. I would love a 45 of whiter shade of pale. I think that bite size version of it, you know, it's a classic. It's a perfect song. I think it's a standard for a reason. Going back to when we were talking uh, in our Warren Zevon episode, I had found that quote of Warren saying, if I never wrote Werewolves of London, I would have been regarded as a very successful folk singer. Yeah. (laughs) But instead, he was kind of pegged a little bit as not a one-hit wonder, but that song in a lot of ways wound up defining Warren Zevon. And so, and similarly, I think you could say that about Whiter Shade of Pale. Now, is that a bad thing? If you have this masterpiece as the thing that winds up defining your career? Eh, probably not. I don't know if Werewolves of London is a masterpiece, but maybe, maybe. I consider it a masterpiece. Yeah. And like Todd Rundgren's, what's it, Bang on a Drum All Day? Right. Or BTO's, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet? Yeah. I find there's this very, and maybe it's not the same anymore, but at least in the 70s and 80s, you could write a novelty hit. Something that the artists all say, like, oh, we wrote it really quick and we put it out. Or, oh, yeah, this is just our, this is our warm-up song. It's a goof. Right. Like, oh, it's, it's your biggest success. And then if that happens and it brings people into your music, well, who cares? Right. I like that I have Werewolves of London or Whiter Shade of Pale. Because if I had heard any of these songs first, I'd be like, eh. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, and then sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes you have the hit first, and then you try the novelty song. I'm thinking of the No No song, um, <laughs> Ringo. You know? I, I don't. I don't mind. I I fall in and out of love with that song. I think the older I get, the funnier it is. I lo- I actually really like it. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually really like it. But I remember being shocked that he was like, "Oh, Ringo did cocaine." When I had heard it, <laughs> it's like, "Oh, that's very kind of like as a middle schooler." Or, grade school or something what is that that's bad that's very bad so i wound up yeah i i didn't really actually even know much about the band but i guess they split up in the early 70s and then they reunited in the early 90s and have been sort of yes around ever since which is cool it's yeah. cool to have bands like that whether it's this band or i'm trying to think of a elo maybe because yeah. they broke up for a few for a while well, I found a lot of ELO in this, Ryan. I found Jeff Lynn either taking notes or they knew each other For in sure. some capacity. I mean, if it's Jeff Lynn, it's usually taking notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but fastidious notes i heard a lot of that in here and i i mean i was gonna say this for the track by track but i guess i'll i'll talk a little bit about the george harrison sound of this you know when i was listening to this record i'm thinking boy what does this remind me of? And I'm racking my brain, and finally it dawned on me, some of this is living in the material world almost chord for chord, like yeah, beat for beat. Yes, yeah. And so then I'm like, they must have known each other. I, they must have. And so I did a little digging, and I was surprised, but also not, to find out that Gary Brooker was, yeah, he played on All Things Must Pass. And so, Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Like most people played on All Things Must Pass <laughs> yeah. a, a year after this album comes out. But that style of music, that folk rock 
sitting around the campfire, you know, mm-hmm. like crackle of the woods kind of music yeah. is very much in George's wheelhouse. Or it's at least something he yeah, was attracted sure. to because the sounds that Dylan and the band were making and George was obviously close with them in the later months of 68 and became very close with them over time. So, you know, I think actually George wound up simultaneously influencing and then imitating the sounds of Procol Harum, hmm. at least to a small extent. And maybe it was just their common pool of like people they both admired, but yeah, you, you it's some of the, I'm telling you, man, some of this stuff sounds exactly like it's plucked right out of living in the material world. Yeah. You're not wrong. And think of George. He grew up around John and Paul and absorbed all of their lessons and then turned into a songwriter. who was just as good as both of them right. on his own. Yeah. Like John and Paul needed each other. I, I really, I mean, aside from a few songs and a few albums, All Things Was Passed. I mean, that's, it's number one or number two in terms of best solo material, at least I'm in my book. Oh, I, I agree. It's like hit after hit. Like there's, even though it's a triple album, I mean, if you don't include the jam side. Yeah, George had so much there and he was doing the same thing. You know, he was like what I was talking about, being influenced by stuff at the time. He was such a sponge. And so, you know, I think All Things Must Pass, if you had to equate it to any sort of style, would probably be in the Procoharum, the band, James Taylor-ish mm-hmm. kind of vein. You're right. As opposed to the power pop of McCartney. It's just not George's thing. No. Well, how about I do some housekeeping on this record? Just some facts for all the facts people that Please. like facts. Give it to you me. You would like to be faxed a fact? I would love it. Please and thank you. So Salty Dog is the third album by this English progressive rock band known as Procol Harum, released 1969 by Regal, Zonophone, and A&M. It was produced by a member of the band, Matthew Fisher. This guy is also the gentleman that played the organ on Whiter Shade of Pale. Huh. I didn't know that. Yes. I thought Brooker did that. It is Matthew Fisher. Wow. To the tune of this, there was a legal issue between Fisher and the songwriters... Brooker and probably Keith, right? Yeah. Keith Reed. Okay, I did my st- I did my homework, Paul. <laughs> so a legal issue to the tune of in 2009, the House of Lords actually found Fisher to be a joint author and co-owner of A Whiter Shade of Pale. He was not credited as a songwriter. Wow. Mm-hmm. By virtue of his contribution to the song in the form of his organ solo, despite waiting nearly 40 years since its release to make a claim... Fisher won the case December 20th, 2006. Wow. But was awarded 40% of the composer's share of the music copyright rather than the 50% he was seeking. And he didn't collect back royalties, but the royalties started in 2005 for him. So because of that organ part, he's got checks coming in the mail. Probably big, big checks. I mean, what is that song without that organ? That organ is that song. It's a good song, and that organ makes it a great song and record.
the first thing I think of when I think of that song is the organ. It's in fact, it plays in my head. Like all you have to do is say the name of it, and I hear the organ first, and everything else second. So I, I actually understand why they would do that because it is so integral. Like you kind of have to, kind of have to <laughs> give him a piece. Yeah, you you have to. It's a shame that they didn't just award him the money. Right. In the '60s or set would have been the '70s, I guess. It's like saying the riff to Walk This Way by Aerosmith or Day Tripper or something doesn't count as part of the composition. It's like, that's no, that's about half of the whole song. Right, right. Everything else is, every, we're just waiting for that riff to come back. Which is, by the way, like, not to get off on a tangent here, but like the spirit behind having so many songwriters listed on modern, especially pop records. And it's, I think it's actually probably a good thing because it, the idea there is that they're attributing credit where it's due for things like that. Yeah. You know, like serious big contributions to the songs. And when you see it, you can look at it and be cynical and say, oh, it took 20 people to write that song, but it only took Leonard and McCartney. Blah, blah, blah. But I think it's just a matter of actually like fairness. Yes. And maybe that's not every case, but it's probably a good practice to do that. I've been in a few of those sessions, not many. My wife is a professional songwriter and just recently it took us it's four or five years at this point to write songs together because professional songwriters have, I mean, there's all these like unspoken rules they have where I'd be playing something for her and the way she writes lyrics, it's very story based and it's changed the way I one listen to lyrics, but then also when I attempt to write them, Yeah, she's like, every word has to count and every line has to advance the plot. It has to build you have to tie the theme of it into the chorus and you can change what the words in the chorus mean depending upon what you say in the verse. I mean, this is all basically comments on stuff. But the point here is that you have the lyric people, you have, sometimes you have somebody just working a drum machine. Yeah. Sometimes you have somebody programming patches in a synthesizer or programming drum tones. Yeah. You have somebody that's making a melody, maybe an engineer. There's a person in the LA scene called a vibe guy. <laughs> Who doesn't really do anything. They usually oh. are scrolling through Instagram. I love this. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> you know that? We, I just saw this thing on Twitter that Ariana Grande said, let's talk about this. Let's put that in there. That's cool. And so you can get paid to be a vibe guy, Paul. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that so, the evolution of the hype man? Is that just the corporate hype man? <laughs> that's the new guy. Yeah, the new hype man. Flavor Flav just, was the vibe guy, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm looking through TikTok, and we got a lot of stuff here that we're going to put in this song to make it good for the kids. Flavor Flav was also looking at TikTok as well. It was just literally hanging on his chest. Literally on his chest, right. It was a literal clock. 69 is the is the sex number. You pulled it right back Thank in you. there. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Procol Harum. So <laughs> Fisher left the band after this record. Wow. So there were tensions... And he's the producer. And I didn't read into the story. There was so much to read. I was like, well, that's just an interesting anecdote. It's probably about the whiter shade of pale thing. The cover is a pastiche of John Player and Sons. It's a cigarette pack. And you can look that up and it's almost exactly the same. They just lampooned it. It looked a little like the Gordon's Fisherman. Yes. Right. Album was recorded in one month, March in 69, released the same year. I saw that. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then they put it out like the next month, right? Or something like that. It was like just boom, boom. churning them out, yeah. churning them out. 
Why? Oh, the band I was thinking about before is the Zombies. The Zombies made yes a handful of albums and then reunited and I believe still tour. That was the band I was thinking of. And I also saw that fellow from the Zombies with Ringo. So there you go. <laughs> it all is connected. It's the six coming next to the nine. Mm. Bop, 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 bop. Mm. Oh, God. Mm. Oh, God. Robin Trower was pretty fed up at this point in the band. And we're going to get to that song you mentioned, Crucifixion Lane, which shows that he was just moving in a different direction from it's them. so good. Anyway, we'll get to that, but it's so good. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's a record that was made quick and has withstood the test of time. There's not much more to even report on it other than digging into the songs. Yeah. But before I do that. Ooh. Oh, no. Shall we saunter? My good sir. Sauntering music. Saunter over to my bullet corner. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. It's my bullet corner where I describe the album we're listening to with weird poetry. (laughs) I'm applauding already. I was, I struggled with these. Because, and I wound up rewriting them a bunch of times, so I don't know if any of these are going to make any sense, but we'll do it anyway. Let's do it. All right, bullet. I have three bullets. Bullet number one. Bullet one. The, <laughs> the plant and the pages see six scribbles aboard the rickety schoon. Ooh. You spent some time with these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I struggled a little. (laughs) Okay, here's the next one. Gilbert and Sullivan fired out of the Black Pearl's cannon into the big pink. (laughs) That, I was thinking big pink earlier, and you went and gone and done it, and you said it. I went and gone and did it, and I actually had a second part to that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to diverge into its own bullet. I'm going to split the cells and take it and move it into its own bullet, which is bring juniper trees, hayseed, and your Bible, friend. (laughs) I like that one a lot. And the last one. Oh, no. Oh, you split a bullet. Okay. I split a bullet. The last one here. An arena folk rock pebble in the ocean of popular music. That's great. You didn't struggle. Those are all very good. Oh, thank you. And that's been my bullet corner. Um, I, well, I'm ready for the tracks, you know? Tracks would be, let's do it. Side A, track one, A Salty Dog. All hands on deck. We run afloat. I heard the captain cry Explore the ship Replace the cook Let no one leave alive I'd just like to say out the gate, I didn't realize that this was as big of a I guess you call like I guess a hit for the band that it, when I discovered it was, I didn't realize that now, and I kind of get why 
the more I listen to it, like you talked about this one being a grower. Yeah. This song, I think, encapsulates the whole record for me where I, at the first listen, I didn't really, I was like, ugh, what is this? I don't really, like, it's fine. Like, I didn't want to turn it off, but like the next tracks kind of, I enjoyed more. But the more I listen to this one, the more I really like it. And actually it grew on me in a similar way to uh, some songs off of Smile, some of Brian Wilson's ballads. Oh, for sure. Off of Smile. And, because on first listen, they're a little sad, and you, it's hard to kind of parse them, but what a great vibe on this one, that ominous, that synth at the beginning. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's very, very good, right? It's definitely up there on my list of this LP of favorites. Yeah. I'd like to say I love all of the lyrics on this whole album, Yeah, but this song specifically has a lot of nice lines, A Twisted Path, Our Tortured Course. And no one left alive. I believe that's verse one. All of verse two. I don't want to bore you with saying it, but just the tone and sentiment of these men sailing, seeking, and often failing. Yeah. I have a verse I was going to pull out here. Now many moons and many Junes have passed since we made land. I love that moons and Junes thing. A salty dog, this seaman's log, your witness, my own hand. Same thing, great mood, perfect instrumentation to match it. Really, like, dramatic. I wrote that one down, too. The Moons and Junes, I always think of Mercer, where he says that's a... Whenever a a successful songwriter uses that, they're usually poking fun at that. The Moon, June, Spoon, Tune rhyme is something from the... The leave, he said, 30s, 40s, 50s. Sinatra, there's a few Sinatra songs that have it in there. Yeah. And yeah, it's just such a such a great record. Good sounding record, good pianos. Brooker's vocal is soaring. The orchestra, it's one of the, I think the only song on the record that has a full orchestra it's on really it. really nice. Yeah, really great. The orchestra is wonderful on this. And I think that, you know, that melodrama is the thing that, or one of the aspects of Harum that does remind me of George because George also kind of writes very melodramatic songs. They feel big. They feel like they're yeah. more than even what they actually are because of the presentation. And I think it's very effective here. Once I opened my mind to this one, I really, really wound up liking it. <laughs> and again, when I first put this on, I think I was in like a drive through line and my daughter was kind of like fiddling in the back seat and I couldn't I couldn't really pay attention I was just like I don't I don't I have to stop this and I just I, you know I put on yeah. some pop music and let it be but <laughs> boy I'm really happy that I came around on this one it's great really good and you mentioned it was a hit not in the United States in the UK in Canada it actually hit three in the Netherlands wow yeah did you see oh. the video for this it's it's wild <laughs> No, I actually didn't even know one existed. Yeah, there's, wow. there's a video for this one, and then it looks like in the same session or whatever. I don't know if it was like Soul Train or like one of those type of shows, but they did one for this one, and I think they did one for The Devil Came From Kansas, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to have to, in between episodes here, I'm going to have to listen or watch, maybe pour some tequila in a glass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there it is. Cool. Yeah, it's very 60s, very, you know, hokey camera movements. You, know, you see the, that stuff in those kinds of top-of-the-pops TV shows of the time. It helped me visualize the band more because they're so 
I I really knew nothing about them despite right. having seen Brooker live. But I love his handlebar and the hair and the whole <laughs> vibe of the group. You know, it's really great. Really, really good stuff. That brings us to The Milk of Human Kindness. Another Brooker read. Yeah. left me for a wasp without a sting <laughs> tell all my friends back home i did it on my own i had that line but i had the rest of that stanza before it when you knew that i had given all the kindness that i had did you think that it might be time to stop when you knew that i was through that i'd done all that i could do did you really have to milk the final drop Woo. not content with my mistake you behaved just like a snake Really nice. <laughs> really great lyrics on this one. I guess a breakup song sounds like a breakup song. Sounds like it, or could be a friend. Maybe. The guitar tone matches the sentiment. Great stinging guitar tone. Yeah. Love that honky tonk style piano. Oh, yeah. We get that little shuffle in there, that little McCartney mm-hmm. shuffle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then classic Procol Harum organ. Mm hmm. They just sort of like, yeah, what do we need to do for the production? Oh, yeah, whiter shade of pale. Put put a, put another coat. Just another coat. Yeah, yeah, the organ, the piano, the little drum fills. I just wrote tasty. It's just a tasty track. I like this one a really lot. Really tasty. And I guess I, I didn't really know the origin of that phrase, but I guess it's a phrase that means care and compassion for others in the same way, something like a quantum of solace or some, you know, one of those types of things. Right. Some Fleming. Not used much anymore, kind of thing. Is Quantum of Solace a thing Fleming created, or was that a phrase that existed before Ian Fleming? That's a good question. I was assuming it was something he borrowed. But anyway, yeah, the word smithery yeah. you're talking about reminds and it makes sense because Fleming was making those books in the 50s and the 60s, so all those phrases that you know, I've never heard anybody say the milk of human kindness, but maybe it's more of a widespread colloquialism than I... No. Well, we haven't banned pre-Googling. So in my pre-Google of this song, that, Uh that is the first result that comes up when you search a milk of human kindness. That is a phrase. That's the only reason I would know it. But That's a man that did his homework. Tried to. All right. So track three, Too Much Between Us. There's you, you're sleeping over there. Whilst me, I'm sitting here With so much sea between us I can't make it much more clear There'll be no time for crying We won't make it more than six So now you got Robin Trower contributing to the composition or the songwriting. It's a very gentle song. Yeah, very gentle, but the pacing of the overall record, this is exactly where this song should have gone. Yeah, great track three. Yeah, great track three. It's exactly the spot for a softer acoustic ballad. This is the one that gave me that big Led Zeppelin three energy, you know, Mm -hmm. like that 
when Plant and Page get all they do their down to earth kind of thing, you know, that's what this reminded me of a lot. Yeah. I also love the outro with that sort of wandering ghostly synth or keyboard or whatever the fuck it mm-hmm. is. Really another one that's got a great mood going on with it and a, another one that's got a lot of drama in the lyrics. I pulled out let him who fears his heart alone stand up and make a speech for him perhaps an emperor's throne if he could only Ooh, speak like talk about great <laughs> like this this really baroque operatic type of lyric good stuff such an excellent line yeah i wrote down verse 2 five exclamation points o m g and you just said it writing songs together it's a bit like you know being married because you have to compliment each other like a man and a wife and you have to be in tune with them you know and you have to be able to cope with each other you know i don't know we're like laurel and hardy or something like that and he's kind of very easy guy and uh, i tend to brood about a lot more than he does i think case sir i think it's one of the beautiful people i call him enjoyed working well I never worked with him we always have a bit of pleasure really when we write our songs but uh, you know his different in his words that he gives over a very personal thing you know that he's talking about things that happen to him you know he, he doesn't contrive anything he's never pretentious I don't think so anyway it's true though the man that can speak his mind and keep it simple that's the winner I mean Maybe it's why we like podcasts so much and also podcasting, because if you can really, I'm like shaking my fist like <laughs> Abraham Simpson at the sun. Man yells at cloud. That's the one, right? Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Man yells at cloud. <laughs> if you can hold people's attention and clearly speak, you definitely get a little further in life. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen that. That was something I had to learn in my career. I was a big waffler in my early days i still find myself doing it time and again i have to catch myself we talk about brendan benson right you know sitting on that fence waiting for, waiting for the wind to yeah. blow you either way mm-hmm. you know you don't want to upset anyone so you will say whatever you need to or maybe not even be able to articulate it because you're kind of forming it on the fly it's something yeah. i have to remember to, to stop doing in my life just in general stop waffling just enjoy waffles just enjoy the waffle sacrilegious mm, The Devil Came from Kansas, track four. Some balls on this sucker, huh? Great guitar solo, wild set of lyrics, except for track three, tracks one, two, and this one, they all blend in my head, Yeah. but this one definitely has a great feel to it. I'm not a humble pilgrim, there's no need to scrape and squeeze, and don't beg for silver paper when I'm trying to sell you cheese. What a strange (laughs) line. (laughs) 
I had to. I was driving today, and I had to stop when we, I was at a red light and just write that line down because I was like, "What the fuck? What is he talking about, <laughs> Keith? What are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, maybe literally cheese, maybe something that's just corny or unbelievable. Maybe it's a isn't cheese money? But why would you be selling somebody cheese? I don't know. Money's bread, isn't it? Oh yeah, money's bread. So if money is bread. Cheese goes on bread. What goes on money? Coronavirus. He's Poop talking particles. about selling me a virus? <laughs> pass. Take a pass. The fuzz guitar on this is another one of those things that sounds modern in a way. But it also, like with all their stuff, and it may just be the organ, but like there's a churchy quality to it. Like we're being taken to rock and roll church mm-hmm. on this record but that solo is great it's it's hard rock in a way i wasn't expecting given the rest of the album and then by the back half of the album you're like oh no this is exactly what it, what this record is yes it's not just a cool solo either the panning it's such a modern thing for a 1969 record to be thinking about so it's an, one yet another example of i think how they were trailblazing a bit maybe ahead of their time Here's a question that I posed to myself. When did The Devil Went Down to Georgia come out? 79, Charlie Daniels. And so maybe this is to your point of Procol Harum giving the blueprint for a lot of bands. And I did not dig into it any deeper than that. But if The Devil came from Kansas, maybe he goes... That's why it's Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah. He's from Kansas, but went down to Georgia. That's, that might, that's what we call in the profession a reach... But it may scan. Uh, No, I I will do you one better. I think you're actually onto something here because as we'll get into with a couple of these other tracks, there's a lot of blues influence on this record. And I think that's what's given me the plant page. And those Delta Blues guys played with devil imagery a lot. You know, Robert Johnson famously purported that he got his guitar playing ability because he sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. Where do I sign? <laughs> and, you know, because no one could explain how he got so good so right. fast, which I think is just practice. Oh, but, like, it was to the point where Sunhouse was suspicious of, like, how did he get this good? So I think maybe they're playing with that devil imagery of the Delta Blues musicians mm-hmm. to a degree, bringing it, updating right. it, right? Bringing it into mm-hmm. the modern pop context. And then, boom, you get, you know, well, around this time, uh, Sympathy for the Devil. When was that from the Stones? It's 68 or 69. It's pre-70s. Yeah, somewhere in the same kind of window. The Devil being involved in rock and roll. I've never heard of that before. Oh, wait, yes, I have. He's there. And like Paul is with my jokes, boredom is up next. Some say they will and some say they won't Some say they do and some say they don't Some say they shall and some say they shan't I can't even, I don't, it's my favorite song on the record and I can't even whistle the right part. 
I love the little shanty town drumming thing yeah. and the xylophone stuff. And I didn't even write too much about it just because I, I love it so much. I, the lyrics are lighter, I think, than the rest of the record in, in a way, almost uh, Donovan-ish in a sense. But it also plays with those opposites, like George right. in um, Old Brown Shoe. Yeah, totally. Kind of it's not as on the head as Hello, Goodbye. There's some complexity to what's happening here in the production. I really feel like I'm on a boat when I'm listening to this song. And there's just a whimsical, carefree sort of way they've performed it. Not a sloppy way. There's, it's just a relaxing sort of record. I like that they use the word shant. Yeah. You know? And I made a point to actually go back through the lyrics to see, like, how many of these types of words are there? Actually, in Too Much Between Us, he says whilst. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's not, for us dumb Americans... We don't use these types of words. We don't see these words. But Annabelle will say whilst every once in a game. <laughs> like, what are you? Is this D- Dickensian England? I love that. So I like how, I don't know who says it. Somebody in the background goes, fruity. <laughs> Rich and fruity. I picture myself in a grassy field under a tree in the shade around two o'clock in the afternoon the sun is starting to make its way down and just a bunch of people are sitting around playing this song it feels very down home very back to nature kind of thing that reminds me and i'm just going to plug this and i have no actual connection to it in santa barbara if you're ever in california make your way to santa barbara at the pier the one with all the boats (laughs) what an idea obviously that's the boats. (laughs) every weekend there's this group of it's mostly senior citizens, but anybody can come and play. A circle forms right in front of the oh. the pier, and they just... Is that the pier with the aquarium thing? Like, not the aquarium, but the like the oceanic center and stuff? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Ukuleles, guitars, somebody will always have a bass guitar, and they That's just awesome. sing through popular music. And I can... In my mind, I can see them covering it. Not that they have, but I'd like that'd yeah. be my request. Yo, can you play Brogalarums? <laughs> Boredom, they're all like looking at you. We were going to play Hotel California again. <laughs> again. Do you know any Ted Nugent? <laughs> Wango Tango! <laughs> the last time I was at that pier, there was a solo trombonist playing Michael Jackson's songs. Awesome. As I recall. Again, I don't have much to contribute to the boredom discussion. Just because I love it. Just, guys, go out and listen to that song. Don't listen to us. Just listen to that song. Stop listening to us. That's the first. (laughs) Don't listen to our show. Listen to this record. That's the whole point. So let's flip this bad boy over. Let's flip it. To Juicy John Pink. Well, I opened my eyes this morning. I wasn't at home in bed. Can I tell you a secret? Yes. I want to. I want to tell you a secret. All right. I have two favorite songs on this album. I don't have just one. I have two. Folks, this is it. This is a secret you're just hearing for the first time. This is one of those songs. Ooh, it's a great song. This is one of my favorites. I love this. We were just talking about Delta Blues. Yeah. This is their impression of Delta Blues. And 
what could be said it's just it's the perfect kind of production for it it's like kind of crappy but like purposefully crappy purposefully yeah exactly correct it's appropriate for the kind of sound they're going for they're almost using the atmosphere as a way to tell a story about the song it sounds like you're hearing it being played in a dingy bar and uh, I'm just a sucker for standard blues like this, and I'm a sucker for badass harmonica, and I'm a sucker for stomping on the floorboard percussion, you know, all that shit. Yeah. I love it. So this is really nice, really, really nice. Great set of lyrics, just blues lyrics with interesting imagery. I like the, he wakes up in his bed, there's the four angels there, thinks he's dead. Yeah. Doesn't really resolve that. Yeah, it's just a great sounding Delta or Chicago blues style the harmonica or the mouth harp or whatever you call it. And uh, take me up to heaven, not hell where I belong. (laughs) That's good. I don't like tattoos on me. I don't mind if other people have them, but I would, that's, that would be a contender. That's one of them. Yeah. Take me up to heaven, not hell where I belong. (laughs) That's a good one. Why is that on your face, Ryan? And (laughs) Gothic font. (laughs) Why is that a Jokerman's font on your back? <laughs> and why did you change your name to FedEx Mahoney? Yes, right. I got some Captain Beefheart on this one. Totally. To the point where totally. the, it reminded me of China Pig a lot. And I got curious. I was like, these guys must have known each other too. So much like the George thing, I dug into it. I don't know if they ever, if they knew each other or fraternized much. But yeah, Trout Mask Replica came out the same month in the same year. Unreal. As this album, the exact same month and year, June 1969. So Similar sort of record for me, too, where you, you hear it the first time, you're like, huh? A bulbous squid does what in a what kind of bag? Huh? What's happening on this? And then you just want to go back there for some reason. You're like, yeah, I need to go revisit that. I don't even know why I want to go back there, but I'm back there. Can I show I, I want to show you something. Hold on. I'm gonna Please. Show you something. Wow. That's, that's I've never seen that, that before. That's amazing. Can you hear me? You can't hear me, right? I can right? hear you now. This is a trout. Yeah, I've never seen. That's amazing. I've never seen that before. Trout mask replica tote bag, fast and bulbous. Um, and I also have a, a patch. Uh, Third Man Records did a vault edition. They bought the rights or the distribution yeah. for Trout Mask with, from the Zappa estate. No kidding. And they put out this crazy-ass extensive package of the thing with 45s and all this stuff, so... Whoa. There you go. Trout mask. Yeah, I got to check. Don Valet? Val- Valet? Valet, that's his real name. I hear he was a difficult man, that guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Anyway, yeah, so that's, love it. Juicy John Pink, highlight for me on the record. Really great stuff. Track two on this side is Wreck of the Hesperus. Fisher Reed, that piano, the orchestra with the guitar solo, that whole section. I love that. The horns, very British sounding record. The horn section is really the good. The little bit of the ocean they sneak in there. Oh, you said you like the horns? 
Yeah, horn section's great. This was my daughter's favorite uh, when she heard this mm. one in the car. Actually, today, she screamed out dancing and started to try and dance to it with that little song, <laughs> that piano. That's amazing. But, uh, you know, the George similarities, again, here, George has a song called Wreck of the Hesperus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember seeing that. Is that on? Cloud Nine. It's on Cloud Nine. I remember seeing that. Look, are these are these songs similar? I I didn't do a deep dive, but it would be interesting to. They're not. I don't think so. No. I'm not the wreck of the Hesperus. Feel more like the wall of China. into what a wreck of the Hesperus was because I thought it was just like a saying, you know? But mm-hmm. it's a poem by a poem, right. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow from 1842 that portrays the tragic consequences of a skipper's pride. So I love this album. Oh, man. <laughs> so it fits the sort of nautical theme kind of yeah. of the rest of the record, but I guess you could extrapolate skipper on a boat to mean other things. I think that may be what George was maybe doing with his songs. His song actually reads more like him talking about getting older, but yeah, I think maybe Skipper for him is just sort of the leader of whatever organization he's a part of at that time or something. I'm not the wreck of the Hesperus. I'm not, you know, I'm not the, the Michael Scott, mm-hmm. you know, that's Michael Scott is almost a, a one, almost a one for one wreck of the Hesperus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's good. I love the, the guitar entrance with that orchestra. Ooh, it's perfect proggy thing to do there but in a way that's accessible you could pull i think any of the lyrics out of this one any stanza but i pulled this one will hoist a hand be calmed upon a troubled sea make haste to your funeral cries the valkyrie Mm. will hoist a hand or drown amidst this stormy sea here lies a coffin cries the cemetery it calls to me and all for nothing, quite in vain, was hope ever tossed. No thoughts explained, no moments gained, all hope forever lost. One moment's space, one moment's final fall from grace, burnt by fire, blind in sight, lost in ire. God damn. Woo. Really good. Yeah. It's a great song. It's a great song. It's, yeah. it's another one of those... If you're trodden through the album and you've heard a couple so far you like, and then you hear this and you're like, okay, this is an album. I like this album. I can come back to this album. Yeah. But maybe not the first spin, I guess. Yeah, it's great. Great one. So all this and more, really cool guitar work on this record. It's my first note. Great guitar work on display. Yeah. piano instrumental bridge and that one the one line i wrote down the harbor lights are burning up my wax is almost run 
I really am into these cowboy sailor <laughs> albums this season. <laughs> Guys I like just it. at the end of their rope. I like it. I but like not it. sad about it. They're just like, oh, how do I get out of this one? Yeah, real uh, diehard stuff. Real, real everyman Harrison Ford type deal. <laughs> I really love the way Harrison Ford acts and also how he lands his plane in unusual places. <laughs> <laughs> it's really my favorite thing about him. Yeah. I love the little drum patterns. They're a little like they're like, like a fun little variety there. And I also made a note here about the vocal. It's surprisingly big and versatile across all the different genres mm-hmm. this album touches. So it's, yeah, it's really particularly enjoyable here. I guess if I had to pick a track on the record that, like, I didn't have terribly strong feelings about, maybe it's this one. But yeah, yeah, sure. There isn't a song on here I don't like. I would agree with you. And I think it's because it comes before the next track, which I wouldn't even mind spending a little more time on and going into it right now. Crucifixion Lane. First of all, what a title. (laughs) Yeah. You see a title like that, you're like, I'm in store for something very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. You better listen, anybody. My other favorite on the record. I was really interested to hear the backstory because, yeah, it does sound different than the other stuff. But boy, this has got that modern sounding, you know, yeah, almost like indie rock blues kind of stuff, but like real potent blues shit, you know, really good. Totally. It's a song you could drink to. It's a great band song. And by that, I mean everyone is playing their hearts out right. in, in the kind of True. unison. That gives me the impression that these guys were a really tight-knit unit, at least for a time. Oh, yeah, totally. I know you said they broke up after this record, or, or at least not broke up after this record, but that other guy left. But, boy, there it's, uh, yeah, really, the instrumentation blew me away. Love this song. Really, really love it. Great vocal. And this is the Trower vocal we were talking about earlier. Yeah. the pain in the dude's voice yeah there's a line in particular sometimes i'll be listening i don't know if you ever do this but i'll be listening to album and i'll actually verbally go whoa (laughs) hey sure of course and the line that did it for me in this was um says that's it there's something about the way he says that's it that just like bam just really powerful and then that stanza continues and in case you find your maker perhaps you'll plead for us a bit all my sick is in my stomach all my sweat is clearly fear and if you could see inside me i don't think you'd have me here <laughs> holy shit Woo. yeah Woo. Woo. good the line i pulled out you never knew me, and in truth, it's just as well. <laughs> so many of these little stabs on this record. Man, oh man. Yeah. I think it's interesting that they have a guy who is a lyricist on every track. 
So he must really be editing and honing in. This is what we were talking about before, the, the songwriting sessions. You have, this is the 60s vibe guy, yeah. Keith Reed, <laughs> making sure everybody's patiently placing words in the right order. Yeah. And it paid off. Mega. I mean, I know I'm a Beatles obsessive and so are you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wearing a The Beatles t-shirt right now of the hey. boys in the L Submarine movie. There they are. But this, this has that Oh Darling sort of, mm-hmm. not one for one, but in the dry, wet mix of it, there's some wet, there's some Oh Darling in there. And yet, Oh Darling strikes me as an exercise. For sure. It strikes me as Paul playing the part. This one feels real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This one has that, even if it's not, there's a feeling of authenticity to this vocal that, and don't get me wrong, I love Oh Darling, and I love Paul McCartney, but Paul is a craftsman, and he loves characters, and you very rarely get a lot of Paul in the songs. This one felt like this guy was spilt, like, he, he just said it, he says it. All my sick is in my stomach. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the uh, the Wings albums where you'd get a break and then a Jimmy McCulloch song would come on. You'd be like, where the fuck did these pathos come from? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, really good stuff. Get your hand out of that medicine jar. Never, have we talked about medicine jar? It's not a long story. When I was a kid, no. my dad said that Jimmy McCulloch died from sticking his hand in the medicine jar too many times. And I literally thought in my kid brain that he got his hand stuck in a jar and died, wow, died from dad, it. Dad, come on died from it he got suffocated he was sucked into the jar by his hand anyway yeah yeah crucifixion lane wonderful a highlight of the record a highlight of this podcast to be honest if we had to pull like just the greatest hits of the albums that we're going over i would put this one on there for sure oh cool i need to investigate what robin trower did after this because he must have taken this sound into his own band. So I bet there's some interesting records out there yeah. that are just full of this type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But that is for another day. And then we made it. We made it. We're at the last track, Pilgrim's Progress. A Fisher Reed. I sat me down to write a simple story which maybe I like this one, although after the last track, I don't know if I needed it. Uh, 
uh, although I did like it. Same, yeah. It has that whiter shade of pale, organ, the pace. It brings around the theme again, the nautical theme. I don't think this album really needed the concept, ultimately, but it, I'm sort of no. not mad at it for being there. I love the bit where there's those little vocal breaks, and there's the, the stanza I pulled out, In searching, I forsook <laughs> the paths of learning. There you go. <laughs> and sought instead to find some pirate's gold. In fighting, I did hurt those dearest to me, and still no hidden truths could I unfold. Uh, great. And then that end cap. I love the end cap. The coda, right? The coda thing. I'm a sucker for a little, like, gem. Like That's that. a great Beach Boys style. I thought it was a hidden track the first time I heard it. I'm like, oh, no, this is just people being musical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> This is why they're a prog rock band or became one or inspired other prog rock bands. Yeah. You can just do this. Like, I remember hearing rock show for the first time as a kid yeah that whole section at the end where it's just the piano breakdown and he's get your wig on straight yeah. oh, get your wig on straight and you're like <laughs> what the hell is this and what's paul trying to do prog which is where this is what that is huh I, I didn't think of that i didn't think of paul ever trying to do prog but i guess you're right yeah venus and mars would have been the time <laughs> yeah his whimsical version of prog is rock show <laughs> <Funny>. <laughs> it's a concert cabot I love it. I love that song. So some little press that I pulled and other little facts. Press, so, press, press. Whoop, whoop, Every time whoop, you say whoop, that, I hear the, the thing whoop, from Take It Away whoop, in there. Yeah. Masterful editing from the Master Mercer Man. Mm. So the single, the title track was back to the song called Long Gone Geek. <laughs> and... It's just worth noting that I did not know about this until I was doing the research, and it's a great 70s-sounding rock and roll tune, almost like a Bachman-Turner Overdrive sort of thing. Awesome. Not, a, not a hit, but that's worth checking out. press hits John Mendelson from Rolling Stone called this album confusing (laughs) at its best it represents the group's greatest success to date with the brand of rock for which the group is known at its worst it's both surprisingly mediocre and trivial which I don't really disagree I don't don't know if I feel about that I'm surprised by that but also it kind of sounds like he maybe had that learning curve problem that we were talking about I think there's a learning curve on this record, and you just got to hang in there. It's one of those slow growers. Bruce Elder on All Music said the title track was one of the finest songs ever to come from the band and one of the best pieces of progressive rock ever heard. Wow. Okay. And then, oh, I, and I already mentioned this at the top of the, top of the album, Robert, giving it an A+. So yeah. there it is. That's... Brokel Harem's A Salty Dog. Well, thanks for bringing this one, Ryan. This was great. I think it's going to turn into another regular album for me. I pick up a few of these on vinyl as, as we go, and Excitable Boy became one of my regulars. And, you know, I think this one might grow into that as well. Yeah, you posting Excitable Boy on your Instagram, I have on my a to-do list to buy that album because <laughs> of just the fantastic artwork. <laughs> 
the gun on the plate? Is it a salad or something? No, it's like a full three course meal. Oh yeah, there you go. Yes. And then the gun is just splattered on top of it. <laughs> so good. But anyway, thank you, Ryan. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Hope everybody out there is hanging in there. Thank you for joining us on the podcast again. Talk to you soon. Oh, okay. Bye. Bye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at now hear this podcast on Instagram, at now hear this pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash now hear this podcast, or email us at now hear this official at gmail.com. See you next time. stylings i've been teaching myself how to do that love that just a little uh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah anybody seen a ghost yeah exactly i realize now because you've said that i think i the only reason i like boogie woogie piano is because of my session with ghostbusters (laughs) i'm gonna tell you a story about a little town i know a real big problem with a big, big local ghost. No spooks are making a whole, yeah, whole city lose control. Where well, the mayor was frantic in the ha- <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Ooh, maybe that'll be the tag of the episode. Maybe it'll be in the show. Hey! R.I.P. Little Richard. Well, hey, Brian. Hey, Paul, how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute Mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate, featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>